Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We meet every Thursday at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. For more info, go to wearesya.com. Hello, my wonderful SYA friends. I hope that you are well and that you're healthy. And 2020 is almost over. Or if you are watching this later, it is 2021. And uh, look, I know that obviously a date doesn't like change anything physically, or at least it doesn't make it better just because like one day turned into the next day. But I think that symbolically it does mean something. And that's how I'm praying, uh, that there can be some hope, um, even some healing and some space for us to assess some of the things that we have learned collectively over this past year. And the new year, it allows me to transition to something Jesus said in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. And uh, like all things is really, really big. And that includes your life and my life, right? And and this all things new in many ways is what the rest of the New Testament is all about. But I want to show you one moment in the life of Christ, an encounter that he had with a religious leader. And I, and I think it provides a little bit of a snapshot of what some of this newness means. It's found in the Gospel of John chapter 3. Here's how verse 1 begins. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Now, Pharisees were religious, Jewish religious leaders. They were more on the conservative side towards Scripture versus uh, the Sadducees, which, you know, I guess could be considered more liberal in some ways, but the Sanhedrin was made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were the ruling leaders, like the chief rulers. They were the teachers of Israel. So Nicodemus was like a leader among leaders. And then John chapter 3, verse 2, it says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, as you read this conversation, it seems clear, at least to me, that Nicodemus was genuinely interested like in talking to Jesus, but it was a risk for him to be associated with Jesus. So that's part of why I think he comes at nighttime. But as you read through John's gospel, um, dark and light are deeply symbolic. And so Nicodemus, he wants to be discreet, but he's also living in the darkness of religion. But now he's come near to the one who John chapter 8 verse 12 calls the light of of the world. So that that sets up their conversation. Then John chapter 3 verse 2, Nicodemus says to Jesus, "Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God because no one could perform the signs and miracles that you're doing if God were not with you." Now, later in John chapter 7 verse 15, it says that Jesus didn't have any traditional rabbinical education. And yet, Nicodemus, who is as credentialed as you can get for the Jews at that time, he calls Jesus rabbi, teacher. The only point I'm trying to make is that education and degrees and resumes, 
they are not meaningless, right? They mean something, and I understand that. However, leadership is influence, and character is everything, all right? So um, clearly, Nicodemus had respect because of Jesus's miracles. That's what got his attention, and miracles get our attention too, right? I think modern people, we wish to see miracles. But here's something interesting in thinking about the scripture. scriptures. Folks in Moses's day, they saw mass miracles, miracle after miracle after miracle, right? In the book of Exodus, the story of Exodus. And yet several days of freedom, these same people in the desert, they built a golden cow and worshiped it right? So it doesn't take long. In other words, miracles don't necessarily change our heart. And in John chapter 12, you know, some, uh, what, nine chapters later, John chapter 12, verse 37, it says Jesus, or about Jesus, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not trust in him. At the same time, many, even among the chief rulers, these are people like Nicodemus, they believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith in Jesus for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Okay, Nicodemus respects Jesus because of his miracles, but he's clearly not ready to be public about this, so he comes at night, right? Jesus finally responds in John chapter 3, verse 3, but he seems to be answering a question that Nicodemus never asked, which is classic Jesus. Jesus says to him, John chapter 3, verse 3, trust me, no one can see God's kingdom unless they are born anew from above again. This word here can mean all of that. Now, God's kingdom, Jesus is talking about God's kingdom because the kingdom of God is the topic that Jesus talks about more than any other. So obviously it's layered. But in a simple form, ultimately the kingdom of God is not a place. It's not going away to heaven. Instead, God's kingdom is God's way, uh, his reign being made known through Jesus and through Jesus's followers. Nicodemus was part of a religious establishment that taught that you are made right with God and you enter into the kingdom from strict loyalty to and correct understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. So Jesus like blows this up, this way of thinking with his whole, like, if you want to see what God's up to in the world, you've got to be born in a radically new way. And this can't happen from like human birth, from being born a Jew or strict observation or tiresome religious effort. This scene only comes from God from above new birth. Now, Nicodemus doesn't get it. Verse 4, he, he states the obvious. How can you be born when you're old? Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. And Jesus says in verse 5, trust me, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Now, by the time that John wrote this, I think he probably hopes that his audience will connect those words to baptism, Christian baptism. But at the time Jesus said it, he was saying something else to Nicodemus. The Old Testament prophets, they would use water and the Spirit of God as symbols of God's renewal of his people, like the era when God's Spirit would be poured out on all people, not just the Jews 
or the elite. Listen to just a couple examples from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, God says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you, excuse me, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus is pointing to the dawn of this new reality. John the Baptist initiated it, like Nicodemus should be baptized in water repentance by John the Baptist, but Jesus is saying, I'm here to baptize not just you Jewish leaders, not just the Jews, but I am here to baptize all people in God's spirit and God's way. Jesus's main point to Nicodemus is that this era will show that salvation is knowing God, not just knowing about God, and that knowing only comes from above, right? In a new way, from God's Spirit himself. John chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, Jesus continues, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of God's spirit. Now, the Greek word for spirit and wind is the same. It's the word pneuma, the movements and working of both the spirit and the wind. They are a mystery And so the way that God's Spirit radically changes someone who puts their trust in Jesus, you can't can't systemize this or like put it in a box or regulate it it to some kind of like checklist. And yet still today, we are tempted as religious people to say, like, do these exact things just like this, and then God will do, save, change, move. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you trusted Jesus. And you you can't take credit for this, it says. It's a gift from God. God's new life is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. And also Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love through Jesus, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Okay, get ready, because uh, I'm gonna gonna give you something that's about as close to a poem as I will ever get, all right? Are you ready? God gives what we cannot earn, and we grow from where we are as we learn to crawl, walk, and run. This is God's new life, and he's far from done with you or me, trust in Jesus, and then you will see. There it is. It's like a poem. Can you believe it? Now, Nicodemus's religious world would have just got turned upside down by Jesus's words. Like Nicodemus's world was a commitment to Torah. The Torah was basically the first five books of the Old Testament, but it like it was a way of talking about the entire law, all of the Old Testament. 
and prophets. It was all about um, strict and detailed ways of being obedient to that, of strict and detailed ways of prayer and sacrifice, and a way to understand certain doctrines, and also who's in and who's out. And Jesus's words would have just challenged all of this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. In Mark chapter 12, verse 34, he told someone, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom that Jesus initiates and builds is a world within this world. It's like it's like Oz behind the curtain or Narnia beyond the wardrobe. His kingdom is near. It's not far. It's within you. And Nicodemus comes at night and Jesus cracks the door for new light to enter in. Flesh gives birth to flesh, right? Like human to human. But God's spirit gives birth to our spirit to help us see the kingdom of God and enter into Jesus's way of living. This is God's work. It's his way. It's like it's like how the wind moves. John chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. Nicodemus, Nicodemus asks, how can this be? And Jesus replies, wait, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Trust me, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. This hour and we, this is how Jesus often talks about him, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one, Jesus, who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Nicodemus is a knowledgeable teacher, but Jesus is the teacher. And part of what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter who you are or how much spiritual stuff you know, how good or bad you have been. You are not going to work or think your way into the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross destroying the sin problem, and all who trust him will see and enter the kingdom of God. They will see and enter his new life. And by the way, if you look back through John chapter 3, the first 15 verses we've read, Jesus says three times, trust me, in verses 3, 5, and 11, because only by trusting the light can you see now, maybe you've seen the world a certain way for most of your life, but lately uh, you feel like something in your view has been missing. And Jesus invites each of us to see his world inside of our world. And so if you've never said yes to that invitation to be born again, to be born anew or saved or become a Christian, whatever language you want to use, the starting prayer might be something like Jesus. I want to see. Please show me. When both of our boys were born, we did what, you know, like your parents did, what your family did. We gathered around, we ooed, and we awed, and then we said, wow, they're so neat, they're so cute. Well, good luck, little guy. And then we left them, you know, to figure out, you know, what it means to be a human. 
right? No, of course not. That's that's terrible. We had to help and nourish and guide them, right? So they would grow and mature. And it's the same in our new birth and our life of faith. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you will grow up in your salvation. God gives you what you cannot earn, specifically forgiveness and this new life in Christ. And by his spirit, by the fellowship of other believers and through the leadership of others, we grow forward like we crawl and we take steps and we grow but obedience to Jesus is the key. You start where you are and you ask for help. I remember struggling with uh, my language when I first came to Christ, right? right? Like I had, a, I had a terrible mouth and I thought I would never be able to stop cussing, but I began. I took baby steps. I asked for help and I even got creative. I used to work at this, uh, at the sports bar and I would like say words like golly gosh, and jeepers and other things, just just to be funny, just to like help trick my brain into not using some of these words that I'd become um, addicted to using or, or a bad habit. But you grow from where you are, right? And and it's baby steps, but it's cumulative. And listen, you never stop growing. Listen to Hebrews chapter five verse thirteen. It says a person who is living on milk isn't very far along in the Christian life. And they don't know much about doing what is right, but solid food is for those who are mature, who have, here it is, who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. So here's a, a word picture way to think about training yourself to be godly, right? Training yourself as a follower of Jesus, okay? Ears, eyes, mouth, feet, hands, all right? Here's a way to think of it. Ears, eyes, mouth, feet, hands, ears. Listen to those who are godly, right? Um, gather together with other believers and listen. Ask questions, all right? Ears. And then eyes. Read the scriptures. Read the Bible. Watch how wise and godly people live. Eyes. Mouth. Ask for help where you need it. And then use your words to bless other people. Mouth. Your feet. Obey. Obey what you know. Like, live out what you've seen, what you've read in the scriptures, and what you've heard. And finally, hands. Serve the needs around you. Start in your home. Offer the help that you can. You can't change everything, but you can do something. There's this great quote. I may butcher it because it's going from memory. But uh, Andy Stanley has this uh, thing he says where it's something like, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because you can't help everyone, but you can help you can serve, you can bless someone in your life, in your world, all right? So just a way to remember, ears, eyes, mouth, feet, hands, all right? But most of us, we have seen, we've been born anew, but I like the NIV's translation of John chapter 3, verse 3. It says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I, I love that word, again. When I was six or seven years old, my dad he told me we needed to run some errands, and we ended up driving to the mall, and while we were parking, he drove past the, the front of the movie theater. Now, this was like, you know, 
early 80s. Uh, Joplin, Missouri had one movie theater at the time, and they only had, you know, they would only show two movies. They had two rooms, basically. And there were few, like, movie trailers back in the day, right? That just wasn't a big deal back then. But So they would put posters outside to show uh, the movies that they had playing. And this one, one of them was Empire Strikes Back. And I freaked out as we drove past. We parked and my dad calmly said, as I was freaking out, telling him, oh my gosh, the new Star Wars movie is out. And he said, oh wow, well, what do you say we go watch it? And I don't even know if I'd ever like seen a movie inside of a movie theater at that point, because it just wasn't as common for for everyone at that time. And we went in, we got popcorn, we got Cokes, and I watched what is still to this day my favorite Star Wars movie. And when we were done, we walked out to the, the parking lot and we got in the car, we started heading home. I noticed we were going home and I said, hey, dad, wait, what errands uh, do we need to go and do? And my dad grinned and he said, that was the only thing on my list, right? He'd planned it all along. And I was riding in the front seat as big, because, you know, this was like, you know, back in the 80s, little kid could ride in the front, no seatbelt. And I was as big as the world. And I said to, back to my dad with wonder in my little heart, dad, let's do errands together again really soon, right? And it's hard to really explain, and I know you understand this, it's hard to explain the feelings of those moments and those memories because the memory is there, but, and it's wonderful, but the essence of the wonder kind of fades, right? Like, but I started thinking, as I was saying about the, telling the story, maybe we shouldn't experience the wonder of our lived moments now in the exact same way as we did as kids, but maybe there's a new way for us, like a new prayer. God, show me the light. Show me the wonder for this moment now as I am now, and Jesus teaches us about living God's kingdom now, forgiveness, peace, love for your enemy and for your neighbor, uh, grace for you and I to put grace and justice into the world and to serve the least of the people around us. And we, we learn to walk in this new kingdom way in baby step moments, right? Like synapses firing in our brains and kingdom habits slowly forming and transforming our lives. But even as we live and learn to trust and follow Jesus's way, uh, even as we are born again anew and we begin to see the kingdom, we will constantly need reminders and we will need Jesus to show us again. When both of my boys were little, a favorite thing for them was for me to just throw them in the air as high as I could, which I couldn't do that now for sure with Asher. And, but it would equally terrify and thrill them. And like, they barely allowed me to catch them before they were shrieking again, dad, do it again, do it again. And it makes me think about a journal, um, a prayer journal that I kept the first couple years of being a Christian. I was 19 or 20 years old. This was, you know, 1995, 96. I had prayers and experiences, failures, and successes that I wrote about. And I still have those journals. And I've read them occasionally over the years. Like what I was allowing God to do then, like my faith, I was audacious, and I was full of wonder. And there are times I have read those journals, and I've sighed, and I've whispered in prayer, 
God, do it again. Do it again in a whole new way. And so in this coming year, what do you need to do for the first time? Or what do you need to do again? I want to encourage you to write it down. What do I need for the first time in my life? What do I what do I need God to show me again? Write it down and then pray. Jesus, show me. Help me see. Reveal the wonder in a new way in this present time. Jesus, do it again. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.com.